Hello, this is Sandra Hindman, founder and president of Les Enlumineurs. We specialize in manuscripts, miniatures, historic jewelry, and other small-scale works of art from the Middle Ages and the Renaissance. Welcome, and please enjoy today's podcast. Hello, everyone. This is Kristen Racanello, and today I am in the New York Les Lumineurs office and gallery. For today's podcast, I thought that I would highlight a few amazing paintings in the offices of the dead in our current books of ours. But first, what is the office of the dead? Well, the office of the dead is found in the back of every book of ours. A hovering presence, death was at the back and behind many types of medieval objects and paintings, but most often, death was at the back of every medieval person's mind. That's why we find these prayers consistently included in personal devotional manuscripts like the Book of Hours. The Office of the Dead, also known as the Office for the Dead, is a prayer cycle of the canonical hours in the Catholic, Anglican, and Lutheran Church, said for the repose of a dead loved one's soul. Usually, it would appear in Latin as the officium defunctorum. The older name for this office, the office for the dead, can help us understand the function of this set of prayers. Medieval people felt acute anguish and despair at the thought of their loved ones languishing in the fires of purgatory. Ideally, death in the medieval period took place at home, in bed, surrounded by loved ones, and most importantly, with a priest to whom the person on their deathbed confessed, were forgiven, and received last communion and extreme unction all of which are subjects of painted illuminations in books of ours. This kind of ideal death cleansed the soul and ensured immediate entry into heaven. But of course, this ideal vision of death rarely happened, and thus most souls were expected to be delayed on their trip to heaven, caught in the hot clutches of purgatory. Indulgences suggest that the soul could be stuck in this awful place for thousands of years. So, along with paying for funerary masses, praying the office of the dead was considered the most efficacious means of reducing the amount of time loved ones spent in this fiery in-between place. Thus, the office was really essential for the deceased, since only the living could shorten their time in purgatory. The Office of the Dead was, and is, the proper reading on All Souls Day, which is normally on November 2nd, for all the souls in purgatory. It can also be a votive office on other days when said for a particular person. All Souls Day is a day of prayer and remembrance for the souls of those who have died, and it is the root of Dios de los Muertos in Mexico. On this day, faithful remember all of their dead loved ones. All Souls Day has a really a kind of somber tone to it usually, while Dios de los Muertos is much more festive and celebratory of the deceased loved ones' lives. Many All Souls Day traditions are associated with popular ideas about purgatory. 
There's bell tolling that's meant to comfort those being cleansed. Lighting of candles serves to kindle a light for the poor souls who are languishing in darkness. And soul cakes are given to children coming to sing or pray for the dead, giving rise to traditions of going souling and the baking of special types of bread or cakes. This practice gave rise to trick-or-treating. The evening before All Saints' Day on November 1st, children in costumes travel from house to house asking for treats. Today, trick-or-treating usually occurs on the evening of October 31st. In the United States and Canada, trick-or-treating has been a Halloween tradition since the 1920s. The earliest known occurrence there of the Scottish Halloween custom of guising is from 1911, when children were recorded doing this in Ontario, Canada. Guising is a tradition in Scotland and other parts of Britain and Ireland. This tradition features people walking from house to house at Halloween and putting on a show or a small performance. They expected to be rewarded with food or treats, and the tradition of guising goes back at least as far as the 16th century, as does the tradition of people wearing costumes at Halloween. There are many accounts from the 19th century in Scotland and Ireland of people going house to house in costume at Halloween reciting verses in exchange for food. However, as I've just noted, the Office of the Dead is not only associated with Halloween time. It's composed of different psalms, scripture, prayers, and other parts that are divided into the Office of Readings, Louds, Daytime Prayer, Vespers, and Compline. We shouldn't confuse the Office with the text of the Funeral Mass or the Rite of Burial, both of which are found in two different service books used by the priest the first, the Missal, and then also the Ritual. The current regular office, according to the 2000 Liturgia Horarum, which is the Liturgy of Hours, includes the normal cycle of a typical ferial office, namely an office of readings, which is the office of matins, morning prayer, louds, daytime prayer, mid-morning prayer, and midday prayer or mid-afternoon prayer, as well as the evening prayer, which is known as Vespers. The final hour, which is the night prayer, also known as Compline, is taken from Sunday. The extraordinary office, as opposed to the regular office, as it exists in the Roman liturgy, is composed of first Vespers, then Mass, Matins, and Louds. The editor is not known, but the office as it existed before the alternative one was no older than the 7th or 8th century. A well-known refrain from this cycle is Timur mortis conturbatme, or the fear of death disturbs me, or as we would say today, I'm scared to death of dying. The office of the dead has been attributed at times to St. Isidore, to St. Augustine, to St. Ambrose, and even to Origen. There is no foundation for these assertions, though. In its 20th century form, while it does have some ancient characteristics, it's not any older than, again, the 7th or 8th century. Some writers attribute it to Amalarius, others to Alcuin. These opinions are more likely, but are not yet very solidly established. 
Originally, the Office of the Dead developed to satisfy private devotion to the dead, and at first had no real official character. Even in the 11th, 12th, and 13th centuries, it was recited chiefly by the religious orders, so the Cluniacs, Cistercians, and Carthusians, like the little office of Our Lady. Later, it was prescribed for all clerics and became obligatory whenever a ferial office was celebrated. The most remarkable component found in the Office of the Dead is a moving set of readings from the Old Testament Book of Job that make up the nine lessons of Matins. Job's trials become allegories for the time we spend on earth, or, if a person is unlucky and suffers an unideal death, in purgatory. As the reader says these prayers, the eye of Job speaking becomes the voice of the dead person themselves who continuously ask for pity and mercy. Let me give you an example. The first lesson draws on Job 7:16 to 21, and it begins, quote, Spare me, O Lord, my days are nothing. What is man that thou shouldst magnify him? Or why dost thou set thy heart upon him? Why hast thou set me in opposite to thee, and I am become burdensome to myself? Behold now, I shall sleep in the dust, and if thou seek me in the morning, I shall not be. The desperate seventh lesson laments, quote, I have said to rottenness, thou art my father, to worms my mother and sister, end quote. A bleak, sorrowful tone permeates those seven lessons. But at the end of the eighth lesson, there's a glimmer of hope, reading, quote, For I know that my Redeemer liveth, and in the last day I shall rise out of the earth, and I shall be clothed again in my skin, and in my flesh I shall see God, end quote. However hopeful this tone, the last lesson of Matins asks this morose question, quote, why didst thou bring me forth from the womb? I should have been as if I had not been carried from the womb to the grave, end quote. And the office ends thus, quote, from the gates of hell, deliver their souls, O Lord, may they rest in peace. The most common illustrations accompanying the office of the dead are the last judgment, the raising of Lazarus, the parable of Dives and Lazarus, the three living and three dead, Job on the dung heap, death personified, and perhaps the most fascinating are the funerary rites. The beginning of these rites are almost always depicted in the conditions of ideal death, that is, at home, in bed, just as we discussed earlier. Upon entering the house, the priest would bless the sick person with holy water and commence praying. After death, the deceased was blessed again over their corpse while still in their bed. One of our manuscripts, the Thoret Hours, which is BOH 215, contains a really fascinating image of a woman with her eyes closed in death, receiving the second blessing on folio 87 verso. This rosy-cheeked, white-faced deceased is tucked into the swaying base of a historiated initial D, which begins the name of God, Deus, at the beginning of the prayer for Vespers. This beautiful page sparkles with gold, and just above the initial D, two angels flank her tiny, naked soul and pull it upward, the top of her head cut off on the cropped page like she's already begun to speedily emerge into heaven, leaving the manuscript behind. 
To the left of the D, an angel plays an instrument, serenading her emerging soul. An ideal version of the funerary mass is found in a book of hours that demonstrates the charming form of everyday piety found in a Flemish household in the late 1400s. This manuscript is BOH 159, and it was made in the Southern Netherlands in either Ghent or Bruges around 1480. A somewhat homespun realism characterizes this book of hours, which was painted by three artists. The manuscript is in great condition with full page pictures introducing the main textual sections. We find the Office of the Dead at the back of the manuscript as usual, on folios 86 to 104. The funerary mass is one of only four full-page illuminations found in this book of hours on folio 85 verso. This image is between two common moments that we find depicted in the funerary cycle in books of hours, the chanting of the Office of the Dead and the Requiem Mass. In this painting, we find a diminutive coffin shrouded in a blue pall. To the left of the central coffin, a pair of youthful monks stand within the choir, looking out to the viewer. They are not painted in the act of singing or chanting, but their positioning in this space suggests that they are chanting the office of the dead, or perhaps observing the mass. Again, this is a moment between those two moments. Above the coffin, the altar is simply painted with a wooden figure of the Virgin Mary mirroring the body of the coffin below. The white top of the altar is empty, a blank white, almost as if waiting to be occupied. The most fascinating part of this miniature comes at the right of the frame, where two mourners sit across from the monks. In a strange and fascinating decision, the artist has rendered these figures headless. They wear large black tubes over their faces, an extended shroud that makes their identity almost as anonymous as the identity of the corpse within the coffin. Perhaps this book was painted in a workshop before the patron was known, for the artist has left the circles of the mourners' hoods hauntingly blank with only decorative gold bands encircling the space of the face. The mourners' hands are clasped in prayer, aiding the soul's journey to heaven. So, to close this podcast, let's return to the very beginning. At the start of the Office of the Dead, acting almost like a frontispiece, we find a full-page illumination of Job on the dung heap in this gorgeous book of hours painted around 1510 by the workshop of the Master of the Entry of Francis I. This painting appears on folio 136 recto of BOH 156. It is painted with the shimmering shell gold architectural borders we often see in manuscripts of the early 16th century. A naked, elderly, sore-covered Job prays from his dung heap while wealthy men stand around him. Here Job, having suffered many, many afflictions, including the loss of his children, his riches, and even his health, is reduced to resting on a reeking heap of dung. The course of events in this story begin when God asks Satan if he noticed the piety of the good man Job. Satan replies, yes, that it's easy though for a successful and happy man to be faithful. 
So God took away all of Job's worldly comforts one by one as a test. In the end, Job remains faithful and recognized that he could not fathom God's workings, only submit in humility, even to this very last horrible predicament. Here, we might remember the hopeful words of Job in the eighth lesson of Matins, quote, I shall be clothed again with my skin, and in my flesh I shall see God. Job is left clothed only in his skin at the beginning of the office of the dead. So that's all for this episode on the office of the dead. Our podcast family is growing, but it would really help us if you could subscribe and rate the podcast in your podcasting app. You can access the podcast through any app, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. To subscribe, you just need to click the plus sign icon at the top of your podcast player. We would love to hear your thoughts about this episode's topic. Do you know something about the office of the dead or funerary practice or even about trick-or-treating that you would like to share? Let us know. You can find out more about the manuscript discussed on our website, lesonlinear.com, and you can reach out with comments and questions through our social media at Lesonlinear. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.